children, you can head off to children's church. Can I say it may be dreary outside, but the sun is shining in here? Can we, can we just say that together and that look? I am a, uh, I am still going to have to adapt a little bit to um, what we call Midwestern weather. Um, just being honest with you, um, and from what I hear, this ain't nothing yet. Um, so um, I did hear earlier, and I'm not sure if this is ugly to say in church, but I did hear earlier that it might snow. <laughs> oh, okay now. Well, you know, there, there's don't forget a prophet can pray and stop the rain, so we're going to see if we can stop some snow too. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, I have no problem with it. But now as we're sitting here today and as we're singing these songs and as all these words are coming out, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, we're, we're praying, Lord, come soon. I mean, we're, we're just saying that, right? You're coming soon. You're coming soon. I tell you, as he starts preparing to, to come, I want to make sure I'm in the right place. Have you ever heard that said that uh, you better start acting right because you don't know when Jesus is going to come back and what he might catch you doing? Woo! If that ain't scared you before, it might scare you a little today because the day is getting closer. You think about it, the, the, all of the, the disciples and all of the apostles, they were like, oh, he's coming soon. Oh, he's coming soon. Folks, it's been almost 2,000 years ago. We're still saying, come soon. <laughs> I think they asked the Lord to come soon because they knew it would get as bad as it is now. And folks, it ain't going to get any better until he comes back. I hate to put it that way. I hate to even think about it that way. But evil's evil, and it runs rampant. That's not part of the sermon. I just had to share that with you. As you're turning to James chapter 1, I want to tell you a story about a buddy of mine. Uh, a buddy of mine, he and his son went fishing, and it, they went down to to the to the pond, and they had set out a bunch of lines. Now, I don't know. Do y'all do cat fishing around here? Okay. Oh yeah. <laughs> do on this side of the room. But my buddy and his, and his son, they went out and they had set up <clears throat> some stands, and they'd set up some poles, and they'd put some. Y'all use liver when you catfish? Okay, put some chicken liver on the cat on the end of the pole and threw it out there, and they set it in a little stand, and they just were waiting for it to buzz and waiting for it to hit. And They thought, we're going to go on back up to the cabin. We're going to get us a bite to eat and come back. Well, they went to the cabin, come back, and every single line had a catfish on it. Every single line. And, and the little boy said, uh, he said, Daddy, I knew it. He said, how did you know? He said, I prayed that we would catch fish. And the dad, you know, on the inside said, yeah, and we threw chicken liver at him too. But he's like, yeah, that's great. Well, they, they took all the fish, the catfish off. They said, we're going to, it's just early in the morning. We're going we're gonna to do some more. So they threw some more uh, chicken liver on the hook, threw it back in there and come back. Guess what? Come back about an hour and a half later, every line had a catfish on it. Every single line. And he said, Daddy, I knew it again. He said, what would you do, pray? He said, yes, sir. He got all excited, man. He was like, my boy, he's a praying boy. He can catch catfish. See if he can clean them, but he can catch them. 
So they, they get all excited, and they, they throw the line back out. They go, we'll come back again in a little while. And they go back up. They took a nap this time because, you know, they just little boys. So they come back, and they check all the lines. Wasn't a single fish on the line. Not a single fish. Little boy looked at his daddy and said, I knew it. He said, what, son? You didn't pray this time, did you? He said, we didn't bait the hook. See, here's the thing, guys. We don't bait. If the hook, if the hook doesn't have something on it to entice the fish, the fish won't bite. You and I are the same way. See, the Lord, the Lord created us a certain way. His desire for us was us to live for Him, but we live for the flesh, and the enemy knows that. The enemy knows that, so the enemy says, I'm going to throw out to you what you want, but I'm going to put in it what I want. And the enemy wants nothing more than to kill, steal, and destroy. And so he throws us some bait, and you look at that, and you say, oh, that looks good. But hooked inside of it is something that causes great harm. See, today, as we look at James chapter 1, we're going to see that we're often tempted. We're often tempted. But I think sometimes we don't recognize the temptation leads to something greater than the momentary pleasures of the bait. Something that's painful. Something that damages us. And we're going to look at that today in God's Word. We're going to invite you to stand with me as we read the Word of the Lord, if you can. Starting in verse 13 of James chapter 1. The word of the Lord reads this way. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Father, today as we read your word, would you use it to speak to us? God, would you use it to remind us and enlighten us, God, of your goodness and of the terrible, terrible cost of sin? Father, would you speak to us as your Holy Spirit pours out in this place? God, would you remove all distractions? God, would you remove all of our anxieties and all of our fears? And God, would you allow us to cling to the cross of Christ today? God, would you hide this preacher? And would you speak through your spirit? Father, we love you. We praise you for Jesus. 
It's in his name we pray. Amen. As you're being seated this morning, I, I, I want you to, to kind of grasp a few things. Of course, some of you are anglers. How many of you in the room are just big-time fishermen? Or fisherwomen. I'm not being, you know, gender biased or anything. We've got a few of you around in the room. And I, when I was younger, I would go fishing all the time with my grandfather. And strangely enough, since I've had children, I haven't gone fishing. That's something I need to instill in my children is taking them fishing. But I, there is this great fear that I will throw one of them in the water. Um, now, when I would go with my, my grandfather when I was a, uh, just a young pup, we would go and we would first shoot all the turtles. Never understood that, but we would take out a twenty two rifle and shoot all the turtles. And then we would go fishing. And we would go out there for hours. It didn't matter if we caught one or we caught none or if we caught so many that we couldn't clean them all. We would just go and have fun. Well, let me rephrase that. I would have fun. My grandfather would be fixing uh, rods that I had broken, untangling lures that I had gotten stuck in trees. One particular instance, and one thing you must understand real quickly about your pastor is I'm left-handed. And I have a tendency to cast sidearms. So I'm casting, and I caught my grandfather in the neck. Yeah, that's not what he said either. <laughs> I wish those were the words he said. He said some words that I can't repeat in church. But I caught him right in the neck, and it was a uh, purple worm, I remember, catching him in the neck. And I was like, hey, people, there's something in your neck. He was like, yeah. <laughs> But fishing is something that we, we I enjoy when I get a chance to do it. And what's so interesting to me today is we read this passage from James. And he uses fishing terminology. Most of the people in the area where James is writing from are, do you know what they do for a living? Now, some of you said that, but you said it like in a way of, I'm not sure I'm right, so I'm going to say it real soft. Try it one more time. Fish. Now, of course, they use nets. They're not out there throwing out, you know, fishing line like we do or putting out. In, in the south, we do jug fishing. I don't know if y'all ever done that before, but you can Google it, all right? But that's the stuff we do. And here you've got James. He's, he's writing this to a group of people to help them understand why and how and where we get caught up in sin. He wants us to understand that sin, now listen, this is something you need to catch on before we even jump into the points, is that sin is an option. It is a choice. Are we predetermined towards sin because of our fleshy nature? Yes. But does that mean we have to sin? No. I'm so glad we figured that out. Now here's my question as we figured that out. Why do we keep doing it? I'm so glad you asked that question. Here's the, here's the first part we've got to get to when we come to the understanding that sin is an option. This is the first thing we need to understand right here is that we have to stop blaming others for our struggles. We have to stop blaming others for our struggles. Look back in verse 13 and 14. 
It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Now, if you are a person who underlines or highlights or does anything like that in your Bible or on your Bible app, can I just encourage you to underline or highlight or select or however you do it, the word own, O-W-N, your own desires. Now, see, what we got to grasp from the very beginning is why does James say this statement that we can't blame God when we're tempted? Well, he's coming right off of trials. And when often are we tempted? In the midst of a trial. Because in the midst of difficulties, and sometimes instead of turning to God, we turn against God. Well, God didn't do this the way I wanted him to, so I'm going to be angry. Or God didn't do this the way that I thought he should, so I'm going to rebel. He's looking at his people. He's speaking to the church, and he says, church. Don't blame God because you don't know how to handle things. Don't blame God. God's holy. God can't even be in the presence of sin, let alone cause you to sin. And he's just throwing this out here. He's like, listen, church, you can't blame God because it's your own fault. We have a tendency to try to escape our own faults, don't we? Love it when my kids start acting crazy and they start getting a little rowdy. They start hollering at each other, and you know, the next thing you know, my, of course, Caleb has started learning Taekwondo, and so he's like, Hey-ya! and I mean, he's, he's going to take sister out because she told on him. And it's like, You can't, you can't do that. You can't do that, kid. You can't do that. It's like, Well, she made me mad. He did this. My favorite is when somebody gets a speeding ticket and they blame it on the cops. That never happens, does it? Well, if he hadn't have been hiding behind that bush, or if he'd have just given me 12 miles an hour over, I'd have been fine. The reality is this, is we often want to pass the buck. Look back at my, one of my favorite stories in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve. Right? They fall into the first sin of all mankind. There they are, hanging out in the garden, chilling out, and there's a tree, and the tree that God says, don't go near. Yet they are miraculously near the tree. Looking at it, going, it sure looks good. And then the serpent shows up, that slithering little devil. Some of you will catch that later. You might like it. And then what happens? Can I remind you, men, what's fixing to happen? Who takes it off the tree? Oh, see, some of you men are like, I am not taking that bait bait, preacher. <laughs> he ta- the woman takes the apple. Can I just remind you, the man stood there and let her do it? Men are supposed to be the spiritual leaders. Just leave it at that for a second. She grabs it. She takes a bite. He's like, it looks good. Let me try a bite. Passes it on. Takes it. 
God shows up. Still love the fact they tried to play hide and go seek with God. They run, hide. God asks them why they're hiding. We're naked. And then, how did you know? Well, well, God, that woman you gave me. All her fault. And so, look, that's what he says. But how many of us do that? And then what does she do? Well, God, if you hadn't have put the serpent here. See, it always comes back to wanting to blame somebody else. It always comes back to, well, that's not my fault. Think about how many times that someone has said that or you've said that, well, they made me do it, or my favorite, oh, my favorite, the devil made me do it. Mm-hmm. The devil made you do it. I know. I know when I've fallen, the devil's been sitting there twisting my arm and said, you will do it. What a cop-out. What a cop-out. You know why we don't have as much genuine repentance in our lives anymore? Because we're not as willing to confess and fess up and say, you know what? I messed up. We want to blame it on everybody else. You want to watch somebody blame to do a blame game? Turn on the news and watch politics for a little bit. Oh, this party, no, that party, no, this person, no, that person. For once, it would be nice if someone just looked up and said, you know what, I messed up. I made the wrong choice. I did the wrong thing. And this is where we are coming from. James says you've got to quit blaming everybody else. Can you throw up that picture for me? Jerry, i got a picture I want you to throw up. should be next in my slides. Y'all see that? That's not a real enticing picture. I realize now that I throw it up there on the big screen, that's not a real pleasant picture. But look at that for a moment. Do you see all of those plastic worms in that fish's mouth? Can those of you in the back see that? Thank you. I've, I guarantee if this is catch and release, they throw that guy back in, he was like, I, I, it wasn't my fault. I've only got 42 other worms in my mouth. See, here's the thing. We want to blame all things on everybody else. I want to give you a, just give you a better visual. Oh, I'm stuck. Of course, I would hook something because I got hooks on the end of this. <laughs> Some of y'all got that. Some of you didn't. Some of you will be asking your spouses at lunch about it. Y'all see that? Do you see how many hooks are on this thing? Total, nine. I went and bought the biggest possible lure I could buy yesterday, so you can see that. Nine. Can't you just see it now? Spread the fish swimming around. And he says, that looks good. He bites into it and he's like, that hurts. So what you do normally? You let go? That's when you set the hook. That's when you set the hook. And can I tell you, the moment that you want to blame somebody else for your shortcoming is the moment the enemy 
sets the hook. He's got hook, line, and feet. You didn't know that was about fishing. The reality is that we often, we often want to blame the fisher. We want to blame the dusty instead of taking responsibility. We need to recognize that if we fall, it's our own fault. Oh, what if someone causes me to stumble? Why were you close enough to the block to stumble? Oh, they slammed on their brakes. Why were you following close enough to rear end them? We've got to take ownership. We have to recognize that it is our own desires. Here's the thing, though. Each of us have our own desires. Each of us have our own things that cause us to hang up. Some of you, you may not have an anger issue. I do. Some of you may not have an issue with alcohol. Someone else does. You may not have an addiction to www.shouldn'tbelookingatthatstuff.com. But somebody else does. Oh, you may not have a problem with gluttony, but some of us do. And can I say that each of us have our own struggles? And can I point this out to you, is that your sin is no different than my sin. So my temptation, while it may be different than yours, leads to the same problem. We always want to throw stones at people who are different than us when it comes to temptation, though. We don't recognize that temptation is a part of our natural sinful world. James makes it clear, though, that the, that the problem with temptation is that we fall into it, not that we face it. Temptation is something that each and every one of us will face. Jesus faced it, so why would we not? See, the, the first part in this battle is learning that responsibility not only for my sinful desires, falling into them. Falling into those desires. Because we often choose to do those things. We have an option to choose sin or choose holiness. Which one will we choose? But can I tell you that choice is completely up to you. That choice is completely up to you. I can't choose for you. I wish, I wish that's how it worked as pastors. Like we woke up in the morning and God gave us a list of everybody in the congregation. And he was like, all right, today you pick holiness or sin. Holiness, click all. <laughs> but I don't have that choice. You have that choice. You have to We'll get later on into how we practically make those choices. But you have to choose holiness. The next thing that we see on here is that unchecked temptation will kill us. Unchecked temptation will kill us. Go back into verse 14 and then we'll jump into verse 15 together. 
He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. See, when we just allow temptation to run rampant, you will fail. Can I, can I just be honest with you? You will fail. Think about it for a moment. Think, get back to the idea of a fish. That fish is swimming around and all of a sudden plops in front of that fish, which is this, a worm. There's not a worm anywhere else in that lake, but it plops right in front of me. And you wonder about that fish, and you go, how can that fish be so dumb to bite that worm? Or my favorite is the frog lure. Y'all know the frog, how many of you use frog lures? Anybody besides? You look at it, you go, that, that fish looks up at that frog and goes, I think I want that. I think I want it in my mouth. I want it in my belly. Let's go get it. Now you look, and I hear some of you going, <laughs> And you laugh, right? And you think, well, that's so stupid that that fish wants to eat that frog. Can I tell you, the enemy looks at you and I sometimes, you know, he goes, that fish is so stupid. He'll bite whatever I throw in front of him. I see some of you nodding and then some of the rest of you are going, he's talking about me. See, we look at each other and we go, how can somebody do that? How can somebody fall into sin? Oh, no. Can I tell you, the reality is that we're all, say it the way Jesus says it, okay? That way you can't get mad at me. Jesus says we're sheep, right? Y'all know one of the main characteristics of sheep is they're dumb. You know why? Why he calls us that? I don't even have to tell you. You've already seen the wheels turning in some of your heads. Sometimes we're really, really unintelligent. I'll just use that word. See, I need for you to see this, though, that the temptation in and of itself, I told you, not a sin. But when we are tempted and we leave it unchecked, we leave ourselves unguarded, we don't put on the armor, and we don't put on the, the, the Holy Spirit that we need, that we don't put on Christ. Temptation leads to sin. And here's my fear. Here's my fear as a guy who has, has been serving the Lord for almost 23 years in ministry. Here is my fear, not just for the people of God, but for myself, is that we often look at sin and just don't think it's a big deal. That we look at sin and we just say, well, nobody else saw it. Or God forgives. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to, this is not a political statement, but I'm going to talk about a politician for a moment. Back when I was growing up, there was a guy that was the president, old Slick Willie, Bill Clinton. And Bill Bill had a lot of problems. For those of you that don't know anything about Bill, you young ones that don't understand anything about Bill, ask your parents. Don't Google him. 
as parents or grandparents. And Bill was caught in adultery a couple of times. Bill was a professing Christian. Bill was asked this question. President Clinton, as a professing Christian, how can you continue to do these things? His statement was, God forgives. Can I say this real quickly? God does forgive. But Paul says, let's not sin, so grace will abound. See, we've taken sin and because of a huge focus, and listen, don't, I want you to hear me here. Hear me, turn your ears open, open your heart. Grace is amazing. But sometimes we focus so much on grace that we've missed how dangerous sin is. And that's a hard statement to make because I need grace every day. But you know why I need grace every day? Because sin. See, we've, we've minimized sin. We've taken sin and we've said, well, it's, it's no big deal. It killed my Savior. It's a big deal. You got to calm down, Miss Betty. I'm going to get a little fired up. <laughs> All right, don't ask for it if you ain't ready for it. <clears throat> Here's the problem. We see sin and focus on the temporary pleasures, but not recognizing it has eternal consequences. Right? For the wages of sin is what? Death. Here's the reality. The payment for sin. If you take that the way it says, the wages of sin, the work you've done is sin, and the reward, the paycheck at the end of the day is death. And we go, no big deal, not a problem. Listen, the Bible tells us woe to people who call evil good. Can I tell you, church, the culture has said evil is good. But do you know why the culture has done it? Because we have done it. The church for too many years has been silent on sin. Now look, I told you earlier, I love grace. I need grace. Grace is a gift from God that cannot be replaced at all. But it is time for the church to look in the mirror and say, go and sin no more. I didn't even in the notes. Here's what we've got to understand is that James writes this in such a powerful way for us to understand that temptation lures us to sin. And when we give in to sin, it breeds death. Question I've been asked as a pastor for the last 20 years. Why is the church dying? Can I just point you back to the passage you just read? And see, Satan has covered it up. Satan's covered up that temptation. He's covered up that sin. He said, oh, oh, church, you can bite on this issue. 
It's okay for you to give a little bit on this issue. And when we do, we're hooked. When we say, okay, okay, we're going we're gonna to give here. We're going we're gonna to give in this area. He says, aha, I got you. When church becomes about entertainment and not about the gospel. <laughs> oh, man. People. We have been deceived and deceived and deceived. And yes, while we often say, the devil made me do it. Can I tell you, the devil does play a part. He baits that hook. But we're the ones who bait it. And that fish gets pulled up out of that water. I've never understood catch and release because I like to eat. Can I tell you, Satan doesn't practice catch and release. And he's got you. He's got you. And he knows how to steal. He knows how to capture God's children. I heard this quote, and I had to write it down. It says, sin will always take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. See, I don't think many of us commit sin and realize that it leads to death. I don't think we've been broken enough as a people. I don't think we've confessed enough about our sin because we think that Somebody knows that I'm not perfect, then it all falls apart. Can I just look you all in the face and say this to you with the deepest love in my heart? I'm not perfect, and neither are you. And the moment we can look at each other and start to repent and start to confess, then sin loses. loses that grip that it takes on us and strangles us. I told you, though, we've got to start taking responsibility. We've got to stop blaming other people. We've got to stop leaving sin unchecked. And here's the last one for you today is that how do we stay strong in the face of temptation? I've got four practical ways that we'll look at here in just one second, but I want to close out with what James says here in verses 16 through 18. He says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. See, James writes to us because he wants us to understand that every good thing comes from God. Satan will take something that looks good, and he'll offer you that. One of my favorite fruits is an apple. And one of my favorite apples is a is a breed called Sweetango. Anybody ever heard of Sweetango? They're actually grown in Minnesota. 
created, I believe, at the University of Minnesota. And I discovered him while living in Georgia. Executive pastor and I had a door between our offices, and we were both trying to lose weight. He's doing much better at it than I am. And we were eating together an apple during the, like our mid-morning snack. And I had my Flutango apple, and he had an Ambrosia apple. And I remember this very specifically because he was trying to convince me that his was better. And I knew mine was better. I did win that argument. But he was like, just try a bite of it. And it looked good. But I bit into a big part of it. Yeah, ooze. And I remember thinking to myself that moment, now, Ambrosia apple may be your favorite apple, and I don't, I'm not calling you to come down to the altar and repent, okay? But I'm telling you this, that day, it looked pretty on the outside. It wasn't good on the inside. And the enemy will give you that. The enemy will say, doesn't she look good? Doesn't it look good? Doesn't... Doesn't this look nice? Is that not what he did to Eve in the garden? He said, doesn't it look good? He knew inside of us held death. See, our Father gives us good things, not just things that appear good. He gives us good things. See, the way James writes this, he says, he's the Father of light. He doesn't hide in the shadows. He doesn't lurk in the darkness. He's always good, and he always desires good for his children. I want you to flip over real quickly with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 10. And this is how I know that God desires for us to stay away from temptation. To stay out of the grips of the enemy. First Corinthians ten, verse thirteen. I love hearing pages turn. First Corinthians ten thirteen says this No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. I want to tell you real quickly what that means is that everybody's been tempted. And whatever tempts you has tempted somebody else before. Don't feel like you're strange, like you're weird, like nobody else struggles with what you struggle with. Everybody struggles, and it's best if we just admit it. It says that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. It says God is faithful. I can stop there. <laughs> God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will always provide the way of escape. You may be able to endure. Okay. And this is where people sometimes misuse Scripture. They want to say, well, God won't let me be tempted. Or God doesn't put more on me than, than I can handle. Anybody ever had more on you than you can handle? Yeah. 
Can I tell you, though, what it is where we come across where it says this, God is faithful. How is God faithful? He provides a way of escape. He provides a way of escape. He's, you, but here's the thing. He provides it. We have a real bad tendency of not taking it. God says, I want to rescue you. I want to protect you. But if you are going to bite the cheese and the trap, is going to close on you. The reality is this, is we can avoid sin. Quit saying it's too hard. Is it hard? Yup. Is it too hard? No. Because God provides a way out. So how do we do it? How do we avoid temptation? Temptation's everywhere, all the time. How do we avoid it? I got four practical ways. Four practical ways that we avoid it. The first one is this. Stay in the word. Stay in the word. James says that God brought us forth by the word of truth. How did Jesus fight temptation? If you may recall, Matthew chapter 4, he's led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. And the devil shows up. Isn't that interesting that in the wilderness the enemy shows up? meet together, folks. The enemy shows up and he tempts him. He says, ah, oh, take the rocks, make bread. What does Jesus say? Man doesn't live by bread alone, but on the very word of God. So how does Jesus attack the enemy? Scripture. And I just want to go ahead and get this out there. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for you. And it's good enough for me. Here's something I want to remind you of, though, that even the devil used Scripture back. So we can't just randomly throw Scripture out there. we got to know the Word. You can't live it if you don't know it. you got to know the very Word of God. That is why I love the Awana ministry. Can I get an amen? Put the word in those kids so they will treasure it, so they might not sin against the Lord. But see, we have a tendency to pull this thing out only on Sundays. Can I remind you that in our fight against the enemy, putting on the full armor, that there's one weapon that we have, and it is the word of God. You want to stay away from temptation. Stay in God's word. Second thing is this. You got to stay alert. You got to stay alert. I think that because we've gotten so so passive about sin, that we've gotten to the point where we don't even recognize temptation when it knocks on the door. When it happens, we don't even recognize it. it temptation shows up and we're like, Hi. Welcome back. Instead of recognizing that it's not supposed to be there in the first place. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded. Be watchful. I've already quoted this passage today. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion, 
seeking to return to vows. We've got to wake up. Recognize your weaknesses. I can tell you right now what my weaknesses are. I'm not going to. I can. I'll give you one. All right. Because it's one we probably would not pay attention to. Probably one we would ignore more, more than ever. It's one of my weaknesses is going to buffets. Years ago, I read through a book called The Pursuit of Holiness. Fantastic book. I've got copies of it. Whenever I can finally get them to my office, I will let you borrow it. Pursuit of Holiness. And it talks about how we have to eliminate the sins in our life one by one and even pay attention to the ones that often we miss. Can I tell you, the God of heaven beat me up about my gluttony. Well, you know this is wrong. Why do you keep doing it? And it wasn't about trying to lose weight. It was about trying to honor God. Because some people, you can eat celery and gain 10 pounds. Or you can be like my mom and eat cookies all the time and never gain an ounce. Don't have that gift. The reality, though, is we, we, we miss the little sins. We focus on things like anger and our words, and we focus on just tiny, and then big, big things, but miss the tiny things. Can I tell you another one? I'm looking at my top here. You know what I what I had to struggle with? Fear. And everybody else is like, what's wrong with that? Remember the Bible says that we are to honor the laws of the land. we got to stay alert. We gotta quit closing our eyes. Quit ignoring things. And I would like to say that I'm still good at those things. I'm I need to refresh myself. But see, certain things allow those weaknesses to become prevalent. Increased stress at work, lack of rest, illnesses. Those kind of things make it easier for the enemy to attack. So you've got to learn to properly deal with those things. See, Jesus even tells the disciples, he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. It's weak. I don't know any addict that had ever thought one drink will put me in rehab. Or one recognize these issues. Third area, third practical way to fight temptation. I like this one. Run. <laughs> Stay away from it. Run. Favorite por- picture of this is Joseph in Potiphar's house. If you recall the story, Potiphar's wife looked at Joseph and thought, he's pretty cute. She wanted to spend some time with him. She kept trying to entice him to have relations. This is in Genesis 39, if you want to look it up, to have relations with her. He was like, no, ma'am, not happening. So then she comes after him again, and he even runs and leaves his clothes behind. Run. 
stay away from it. Flee temptation. Flee from the enemy. That's why we keep reading in Scripture, flee from youthful lust. Run from them. If you hang out with garbage, guess what you're going to smell like? You can't expect to continue to hang around sin and not affect you. It will affect you. It will change you. And so you've got to stay away. Makes you think about Forrest Gump. Run, Forrest Gump. When sin is crouching at your door, don't wait for it to pounce. thing is, you know your ways. If you just ask the Lord to examine your heart, he'll show you your weaknesses. Stay away from it. And here's the thing. If we're going to stay in the word and stay alert and stay away from the enemy, then we gotta, if we're going to stay away from the enemy, we've got to stay near to God. Stay near to God. James 4.8 says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Have you ever seen those awkward attempts to hug somebody when you go to hug and they go to handshake? That's awkward, isn't it? Can I tell you that's often how we want to be with God? We want to give him a handshake and he's like, come here. It's bro hug time. He wants to bring you in and hug you and love you. But see, here's the great thing about this. It says, draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. How do you draw near to God? Well, we've already started talking about it. One, stay in the word. Pray. Have a conversation with God. You know how awkward it looks when married couples don't talk? How awkward is it when the king of kings, the one who saves your soul, wants to talk to you and you're going. Build that prayer life. Oh, my goodness. I know it sounds like a broken record. Last week I talked about pray. This week I'm talking about pray. You know why? Because we ain't doing enough of it. Pray. Guess what else we do to grow near to God? Come to worship. You're doing a great job. And I know we got different circumstances right now with the pandemic and all that stuff. Please, Lord, hear me throwing stones at that. But I hear, want you to hear worship. Worship God. I don't care if you worship God rolling down the interstate. Worship God. I don't care if you worship God in your own closet at the house. Worship God. I would encourage you to have some fellowship with other believers. Obeying, following, trusting. That's how we get near to God. But can I tell you, if it wasn't for Jesus, you couldn't get there in the first place. See, that's the thing. We want to know why we can't defeat the enemy because we've never trusted the one that already did. He's been defeated. Oh, man, and he still fights. He fights dirty. See, Jesus has already won the battle. And church, can you hear me today? If you want to see temptation defeated, look at Jesus on the cross. 
you remember before he was arrested, where was he at? In the garden. And what's he saying? Lord, not my will, but your will. So we got it backwards often. Often we're saying, God, my will, not yours. And when I tell you, when I'm in charge, can I just go ahead and tell you I mess up? I just want to be honest with you. When I'm in charge, I mess up. But when he's in charge, when I stay away from my own desires, and I remind myself that I want to have a heart that's his, when I say to him, God, have your way, temptation wins. Because it doesn't work that way. It's always I tell you today, church, it is time for us to ascend center and our Savior first. And let's not mess him up. I love this. That's why I bring messages like this. It's not a fun message. Can I tell you that? I like messages like that. <laughs> where I can come in here and be goofy about preaching death. But I want you to know the truth. Can I tell you, when you leave this building today, some place is going to hit you square in the face. Because <laughs> that's how the enemy works. Proclaim the name of Jesus in darkness and light. Proclaim the name of Jesus going to come back up come back up and lead us in a time of response. And maybe today this is one of those moments where we come to response. You're like, oh, if I if I respond, people are going to think I'm facing temptation. Or I'm struggling with sin. Guess what? We're all struggling with sin. And if you're not special if you have sin in your life, we all have it. I don't want that to keep you today from responding to God's call. Maybe God's calling you to new life. Maybe God's calling you to come down and say, Pastor, I need to talk to you this week about baptism. Or maybe you just need to pray at the altar asking God to rescue you from the struggles of this life. I want to invite you to do that. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father God, God, this message today has been one of those messages, God, where you've You've been speaking to me all week long. You've been telling me, Wade, there's, there's things that you've ignored that you need to, you just need to put them away. Sins that you've just casually glanced over and ignored, it's time to, to face them and say, move forward. And God, I know if you're doing that in my life, you've got to be doing that in my life. So, Father, today, that one that's struggling that every time they turn around they feel like sin is coming at them. God, I pray that you God, you just draw near to them. Father, that they would run to you. God, that they would know they have a Father in heaven that desires for them to be holy. You don't desire death for anyone. why you sent Jesus. Thank you for sending Jesus. 
nothing else to do other than the perfect, spotless Lamb of God come to take away the sin of all mankind. And we thank you. Thank you, God, that you send the Son of God. And God, I believe in this room today is there someone who has never experienced the cleansing would you draw them in. God, would you use your Holy Spirit to lead them to repentance and to new life. And God, I pray for those right now as I just think about those right now that are facing stressors and worries and anxieties and lack of rest and peace, God, that right now they are prone to attack from the enemy. God, I pray that you put a hedge of protection around them. 10,000 angels to watch over them. God, we thank you for your son. We thank you for salvation. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. You stand for a time of response to the song. There may be God speaking to you today. It's time to move. We got, I'll be down front.